Hi, I'm Sammy Shulman. I'm Josh Siegel. And welcome back to the Floater 2 Pod Tuesday, where today it is the dynamic duo. How did, we don't have a name. We need a name for our dynamic duo. All right. What's our name? The, uh, the Aaron Dancers. All right. Or how about the Bulliers, because we both bullied each other. I'm glad that that's finally getting revealed. Over the years. Well, your period of, your reign of bullying extended much longer. Mine was a few months. But yours was more acute and severe. <laughs> so it's, it's even. We forgive each other. We're moving on. Great. <laughs> All right. So what are we talking about today? Um, I guess we could talk about sports. That could be cool. Oh, uh, yeah, that thing. Yeah. So, I mean... I was listening to Bill Simmons in the car today and they were talking about like 1968 and how um, they had to make the decision whether to play the conference championship games after Martin Luther King's assassination. And like they went ahead and did after like a lot of discussion. And so like that kind of sets the precedent for their being basketball come, you know, July 30th, but it's a different time and, I think there's still some speculation as to whether that was the right decision. Yeah, I also think it's a different situation for a couple reasons. Um, sort of, and like there are things that are different in both directions. I think, I think the question was whether to halt the game in the interim of Martin Luther King's death and not necessarily cancel the playoffs altogether. Um, but on the other hand, black athletes today are so much more empowered than they were then. Um, so, like, even if they tried to not play, I don't know if they would have been allowed to, just because basically the whole setup of sports was white owners using black athletes basically as cheap labor and back at black athletes having no power. And today they're now finally fighting back against that system. And we've already seen progress within sports. I mean, just in the player empowerment decade, and the way the league is shifting in their direction, I think they, they are more empowered to do that today. Um, I, like, don't love speaking on this just because I'm white and I don't think it's my place to say what the right decision for them is. But I feel like the best platform for them to spread a message for change is when they have the already, the, what will be even more inflated sports stage. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking too, but I agree with you. Like, it's not really our place to decide or even anybody's except for theirs, like even black or white. Right. But, it, yeah. At the end of the day, I'm in no place to tell Kyrie Irving or Dwight Howard what to do or how to feel. Yeah, there's no place like home, right? Yeah. Um, Definitely applies. But... Yeah, so this, that's sort of my overall feeling on that situation. I'd say, like, my official stance would be, like, obviously, I hope that there's basketball. But if there wasn't, I would completely understand and support that decision because, like, there is stuff going on right now that goes beyond basketball. Right. And I think I think something that's really been important about the past two weeks, even outside of basketball, is white people understanding the best way we can be an ally is – understanding that we just haven't lived the same life as black people in America. Right. I mean, I don't want to get too far into it. Right. It's just, it it's will start to get away job. from sports, but, but I do feel like we to listen to them. 
I think, first and foremost. And I don't want to judge in either way. And that definitely implies in this situation. Right. What I was going to say is, like, it's obviously completely different. And I don't want to, after saying this, I don't want to become a further discussion because it's just not what I want to talk about today. But I also think, like, us in particular, we do have a, a weird position as Jews. But that's yeah. a whole different story. So I don't want to really get into that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the sports world and what's happened recently, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott got yeah. diagnosed with coronavirus. I mean, and, wasn't there some coaches? Yeah. Um, that's – that. I mean, that's one of – so I think the two biggest things that the NBA tackled as part of their plan and other leagues have necessarily talked about yet is, A, how they're going to deal with players who test positive. Because, I mean, Goodell said yesterday – they expect that they're going to have positive tests. And the question it's is... kind of inevitable. Yeah. The question is how you deal with that. And then another question is how you deal with coaches just because the coronavirus treats people very differently. And listen, if you have a Seahawks 49ers game, Kyle Shanahan is in a very different situation when it comes to the coronavirus than Pete Carroll is. And you want to create a situation where both of them can be safe, but you also don't want to create a competitive imbalance. Yeah, definitely. Which I think is something that they haven't really talked about that I really hope they figure out just because, especially the NFL has a huge range of coaches in terms of age. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I mean, it's, it's one of the big sticking points in college basketball, just, if you think about the ACC, their three most notable coaches are Mike Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, and Jim Beheim. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, I mean, the way they deal with coaches is a big thing. I know the NBA has already been trying to figure out what to do with people like Mike D'Antoni and Alvin Gentry, who are on the older side. Um, but, yeah, it's something the leagues are going to have to figure out. And I'm not entirely sure what the NFL season is going to look like, whether there are going to be games at home or not, where there's going to be some type of bubble. But there are a lot of things the NFL still has to figure out. Yeah, I mean, at this, as it stands right now, I feel pretty confident there will be yeah, football. I agree. But there's definitely room for change. And, I mean, there's also everything else going on. It's just a very weird time because usually sports would be happening through stuff like this where, like, it was, like, a platform. And, like, that's going back, like, why I think it's important. And, obviously, it's not my place. But at the same time, I think it – wouldn't be the worst thing for those athletes in the NBA to have that platform to speak out. But it's like, we're just missing a certain aspect of America and our lives that we just didn't see coming. Well, right. It's, I mean, before the whole black lives matter thing started and when sort of the main thing happening was just coronavirus, I I was talking about how like a big thing with morale in America was that if you look at any point in history when we as a nation have collectively gone through a big struggle, sports has sort of been the thing that's gotten people through it. I mean, during World War II, FDR made a really big deal that we have to keep baseball and the World Series is still going to happen. And as actually like really interesting historical videos there are on YouTube, there are the World Series videos from 1943 and 44. And they made the videos for the soldiers. And it's really interesting both to just see old baseball 
and to see the way they were talking about sports as like something that was that the soldiers could feel okay that was still going on in America and as something to distract them. You know, after 9-11, Mike Piazza's homer in the first game back is one of the most famous moments. And then the Yankees World Series run was incredible. I mean, and there's then... also every year in November, there's, you know, Veterans Week and the NFL really does a great job celebrating it. And if you watch, like, I do the Fox pregame show every week, they'll go to, like, the Naval Base and all these people who are, like, training to, like, be first responders or, like, the Army Reserves all connect through sports. And, I mean, you'll see, like, you'll be watching a Sunday night game between the Packers and the Bears that week, and you'll see, like, the Naval Troop or whatever in Afghanistan or wherever. I don't know if I sound ignorant right now or not, but – and they're all, like, rooting for their various sports teams. And so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and one moment in the NFL after 9-11 that kind of got overshadowed historically because of what happens in that game is in the first game – so the NFL took one week off, and then they came back for the first game. It was week two of 2001, and the Patriots held a huge on-field ceremony because I think it was Dan Connolly, who was their center, had three brothers who were all FDMY fighter fighters who were in the World Trade Center. And they all survived. And it was like a really emotional moment. And they had them as the honorary captains on the field before the game. Um, but it's sort of gotten lost historically because later in that game, a quarterback named Drew Bledsoe took a pretty rough hit and mm-hmm. got replaced forever. By anybody notable? or Nah, some Tom guy. Oh, same Tom guy who has revealed his Bucks uniform. Great segue, Sammy. Nailed it. Thank you. Yeah, I saw the pictures. It's, it's just going to always be a little weird. It yeah. would have been weirder if he wasn't wearing red, though. I will say that. Though, really? Like if he went to the Vikings, let's say, that just would not – it just wouldn't work. Yeah, we underestimate how often in football, both with quarterbacks and with players in general, they have those one or two years at the end of their career where it's just weird. Like – we got used to Peyton Manning on the Broncos, but even Brett Favre on the Jets and Vikings. Emmett Smith played two years for the Cardinals. It all has to do with whether or not they have success. Right. Because, like, for me, Brett Favre on the Vikings, not that weird. Brett Favre on the Jets, absolutely weird. Yeah. Um, but also, to be fair, I had one year of Brett Favre on the Packers as a fan, so it's not like he was ingrained in my mind in any way. Yeah, I mean, but if you just look down the road, like, Emmett, I talk about Emmett Smith, the Cardinals, Jerry Rice played with the Raiders and the Seahawks at the end. Deion Sanders with the Ravens? Yeah, no, he actually played with the Ravens for a couple of years. But, like, nobody, like, that's yeah. out of he, any of the teams he, he played on, He came out of retirement to play for the Ravens and then the Redskins. Yeah, um, he just, he likes the Beltway. It's understandable. Yeah. Um, who else? There's, well... Deacon I mean, Jones MJ. Played for the Chargers. Deacon Jones played for the Redskins, too. Yeah. A lot of players do that with the Redskins. Bruce Smith with the Redskins. Yeah. Well, the Redskins are like the Orioles in the sense that Dan Snyder and Peter Angelos share the syndrome of loving to sign players who are way past their prime. As just pretty much like, everybody we've talked about wasn't signed by Daniel Snyder, though, other than – Dion and Andre Reed, who we didn't mention yet. And Bruce Smith. Bruce I guess technically, yes. Yeah, they just love signing these 
But that was 15 years ago. Now he just signs bad players to big contracts. I'd yeah. much rather that. But the, or- the Orioles have the same thing. They're, they had Vladimir Guerrero and Derek Lee and Jim Tomey and Sammy Sosa. Just to name hey, it makes for better all-time teams on, like, MLB The Show and Madden. Yeah. I'll take it. Like, I'm, I'm throwing Deion Sanders on my all uh, – on my all Redskins team team, I'm throwing MJ on my Wizards team, and I'm throwing Pudge Rodriguez on my Nats team. It's just gonna Honestly, happen. Though, I might even for the Red, like if, well, Deion Sanders is either the best or second best cornerback ever, but I might even for an all Redskins team put Daryl Green and D'Angelo Hall as my two corners. Well, no, no. The issue is it's not about their time on the Redskins in Madden. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if I was making an all Redskins team, then their accolades on the Redskins would matter, and that would definitely be it. But if I'm just looking at Madden. Daryl Green's not in the game. D'Angelo Hall's not in the game. So then I go to, like, Dion, Champ Bailey, that kind of thing. Yeah, if I was – Quarterback and secondary in general, in terms of all-time for the Redskins, is very strong. It's just linebackers where they're kind of skimping on defense. The Ravens sort of have it all covered because they obviously have the front seven. Then their safeties would be Ed Reed and Rob Woodson. And then at corner, it would be Dion, and then some super juiced like Humphrey or Marcus Peters card. Um, you mean in terms of Madden? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I – so, I mean, yeah, no, definitely. It, it, when it comes to, like, the Wizards, it, they have a pretty decent, like, my team team, I would say, just because, like, MJ, John Wall always, like, that kind of thing. Moses. I don't Carson. know. What would you say? Moses Malone. Yeah, but nobody likes six ten centers. Yeah. George Mearson does better, if we're being honest. Yeah. When it comes to a 2K landscape. Yeah, it's fun to make all-time teams, though. I used to – I do that every year. Like, right now, my Madden team is all Redskins. And basically, the way that Madden works is, like, there's chemistries that your players get better. And, like, I have 50 Redskins players. And then the rest of my team, I just put players that I can afford that are good. And so both my middle linebackers are Ravens. Yeah. So I have 99 I, Ray Lewis and 99 Patrick Queen. Yeah. So I used to – I as, like, a way to um, pass time in class, I've been doing this for years for baseball, football, and basketball. I would, like, set up the divisions and standings and then create an all-time starting lineup for each team, like, based off of their accolades on the team. And then through a very, very basic system – I would assign each player either a half a point or a point. And then the standings would, like, create playoffs. And then in the playoffs, I would match each position up against each other. And whichever... I have no idea what you're saying right now. All right, so let's just say I was creating an all-time Ravens team, right? I would have a quarterback Flacco, running back Jamal Lewis, you know, linebacker Ray Lewis, safety Ed Reed, that type of thing. And then depending on whether they were like a Hall of Famer or a solid player, I would assign them either half a point or a point. So like Flacco would get half a point, Ed Reed would get a point. And then in the in the just I would do that for every team. And then the, just the you know the best team in each division would be the top four seeds. I'd have two wild cards. And then when they would play each other in the playoffs, I would match up. You know how would they play? What do you mean? What do you mean when they play in the play? I, I don't follow what you're saying. It would saying. be a playoff, and for each – I would create the playoff seeding based off their overall points. And then for each matchup, I'd go down the roster and see who has the advantage at each position. And whoever has the advantage at more positions would move on. And you do that multiple times? 
Yeah, I've done it for How years. How does it ever change, though? Because, you know, there are times when I forget players. Because my rule is I don't look things up. And I very like, often Sounds don't. like you should be paying attention in class. Yeah, I think I did okay. Yeah, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, I don't... I think the best way to pass time in class in terms of football is what we did in first grade with those little blocks. Oh, God. That's that's how you do it. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, we had our game in math class that I've expanded to play with, like, a ton of people where we would just, you know, have initials, one of us say first name, one of us say last name, and then try to name sports players. Yeah. I, I would know more the current than you would name a random guy from 1962, and I wouldn't believe you. And then, of course, he was real. Yeah. It's just how it goes. Even last week, we had the Yale Larry. But we, we found out that that didn't count. Yeah, unfortunately. Still a great name. Yeah. There are some great defensive back names in the 50s and 60s of Hall of Famers. There's Yale Barry, or Yale Larry. There's Lem Barney. Night Train Lane. Night Train Lane. Emlyn Tunnell. Um, Willie Wood. Good times. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what else is going on in the sports world right now? I mean, it's kind of, it's at a standstill. Yeah, I mean, baseball's frustrating. We've covered it on this podcast. I think the onus is, at this point is more on the owners than the players. Oh, for sure. I thought, I kind of felt that the whole time. Yeah, there's like a the real... players play. That's been the whole motto. Yeah. Thomas Boswell, who's a really good columnist for the Washington Post, had a great piece yesterday where, like, he actually outlined the economic numbers for each side about how the owners are basically canceling the season over $25 million. It's just ridiculous. And now all it's funny how all the MLB players are, like, tweeting at the NFL. Yeah. Do you think well, that there's any chance that some of those players actually – All right, which MLB player could you see – like, obviously, the guys like I like Judge or Stanton can maybe be a tight end, but like, I saw Jason Kipnis tweet. Well, who them. knows? Who really? knows what these players can do? You know, we don't know what they did in high school, and we don't know what kind of shape they're in. Yeah, but like, like, where are we putting Jason Kipnis on the football field? Second base. Fair. The slot receiver. I don't know. Yeah, maybe Jason Kipnis will be, you know, the next Julian Edelman. Yeah, why not? But yeah, I mean, Bryce Harper tweeted at the Eagles. Um, I don't know. Oh God, I, I, Harper, it would be funny. Bryce Harper would step on a football field and get a concussion within, like, because there's no way he knows how to properly tackle. He would just go in head first, you know, guns a blazing. It it would be rough. He would yeah, have, Brandon Brooks tore his Achilles. We can talk about that. Yeah, that's a the Eagles injury bug is already starting. That's a huge blow. Yeah, he was the. There, I saw this a stat how like he played like all sixteen games last year, and he gave up like two total sacks, and then he missed the game in the playoffs, and the Eagles team had like seven sacks. It spells disaster for Carson Wentz. Yeah, and listen, as much as I love Marshall Yonda, and like. Marshall Yonda is a Hall of Famer. Brandon Brooks isn't there yet. But last year, Brandon Brooks was the best guard in football. Yeah, Brandon Brooks – like, if we made a list right now, I'd say Brandon Brooks won. Yeah. Um, 
Although Brandon Brooks is a right guard. Yeah, but it's it, it is a rough one for them. But yeah, I mean it's 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 very very rough because Jason Peters is obviously kind of done, and now I mean Peters is a free agent who's been unsigned. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's done, and it they've been. I'm the only reason I say kind of is because they like, they've been talking about bringing him back, and he said publicly he wants to come back. But like even if he did, he hasn't been as productive last year's. They still have Jason Kelsey and Lane, and Lane Johnson. Johnson. I mean, the right side of the line is really what carried them, honestly. Yeah. Just like, you know, we made all these jokes about, like, Boston Scott. But, like, Boston Scott rushed for three touchdowns and won them a division in Week 17 last year. And that's mostly because of the offensive line. Yeah. And I think also their tight ends. I mean, they probably have the best tight end duo in football. Yeah, I don't – I don't. the only, like, argument would be – like Gronk and O.J. Howard, but we just don't know. But, like, last year, Dallas Goddard was, like, the 12th. Honestly, guy. the Ravens last year might have been second. I would say the Ravens had the best tight end group because they all, like, each tight end fit perfectly into their own system. Where, like, the if you're just to look at, like, the skill of the players, I would say Ertz and Goddard is better. But, like, the Ravens had Andrews as their, you know, I mean, he was – basically the second best or third best receiving tight end in football last year. Boyle, who's one of the best two or three best blocking tight ends. And then Hayden Hurst, who sort of could get open when necessary. I wouldn't say, like, talent-wise they were better. Maybe it's like a system. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that – I think both Ertz and Goddard kind of lack in the run blocking department, but their offensive line kind of picks them up. Yeah. The Eagles won the Super Bowl. Yes, Nick Foles – played amazing but the Eagles won the Super Bowl because of their lines and I mean it's just since then yeah. injuries have been getting to them age has been getting to them and like yeah it's... they're an older team like but I mean they drafted Jalen Ragor but they're tough they, the only they drafted an offensive lineman last year Dillard who didn't really play last year but will step in at tackle this year I, I mean they have Samalu but like that's not Listen, a good the top name. two returning receivers are Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson who are old yeah very old and Deshaun Jackson was supposed to be cut. I mean, yeah, they're uh, both Alshon coming Jeffrey. off injuries. They're both coming off injuries. Jalen Ragor seemed like a reach, but we'll see. I, I worry about the Eagles, and I also worry about the Eagles because I, I'm worried the Cowboys are gonna are gonna really like run things like they did in 2016. I think. I think. I mean, I said on our pod, I'm like really confident the Cowboys are gonna win the division. The thing is, like, I, it's just it's their first year with the head coach. The Eagles do have a system in place. I like Carson Wentz better than Dak Prescott. It's just a matter of, like, like I think if you flipped Wentz and Prescott, the Cowboys would probably have won a Super Bowl by now if Wentz stays healthy, which is still a huge if. But it's just, like, Wentz has never had the weapons that Dak has, but it's still put up the numbers. I'm severely planted in the Wentz over Dak camp. I don't know where you are on that. I just think the thing with the Cowboys is just how much Jason Garrett had an effect on every single aspect of the way the team works. Because it's not I mean, only, Zeke still Zeke was still amazing. Why couldn't like Prescott have been an MVP? But it's well, it's only about Prescott. It's that with Jason Garrett, it wasn't only about how he didn't know how to use his timeouts or would nonsense had nonsensical play calling. It was the culture that the Cowboys would play in game there would be games where they just looked unprepared and just didn't seem motivated and the other team was just more ready to play. And that's something that just comes down to coaching, where they just looked like they didn't 
know what was about to come at them, and Jason Garrett would just stand there. Like, I think a team that was 8-8 eight and eight last year with that bad of a coaching, and you can make an argument they upgraded talent-wise, like, I think they're going to be two to three wins better just by even having an average coach. We're like, I've never been a big Mike McCarthy guy, but I think he's, like, at the very least, a uh, B minus, whereas Jason Garrett is, like, a D. Look, all I'm saying is, like, I don't care how bad your coach is, you still have a system that you're used to with him. And whether that system gets you to 8-8 eight and eight, or whether that system is, like, you know, 1-15 if you're in Hugh Jackson's system, it's still a system and there's still time to adjust. And, yeah, sometimes the adjustment is instantaneous, but, like, is it going to be that way for the Cowboys? We're going to have to wait and see. I mean, well, I, I, I think, think my point is that it went beyond a system. It went beyond a cult. It was a culture. And it, that, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really – I don't know. I, 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 that's, that's intangibles, and I, I can't argue intangibles, and I'm not sure how you can. Well, I feel like a lot of that comes from a coach. Like, it's the job of a coach to build a culture around the team and an organization. Do you think a culture, just by signing a new coach, the culture just changes like that? I think at the very least, signing a coach who knows how to get his team ready to play on any given Sunday. Well, I guess the Redskins are winning the division, man. But, well, you have to have the talent, too. My point is that the coach brought down the talent. Jigarin brought us down. That's a fact. We act, I actually do believe, like, looking back, there's no way that we shouldn't have made the playoffs in 2016. There's no way – like, there's so much that was wrong with Jay Gruden and his system. Yeah. I, I, I'm looking forward to the – I'm kind of – this is kind of the last chance for me with, with Snyder. Like, if he can't, like, give it up to, like, Ron Rivera and, like, some of these guys who, like, actually have proven stuff and just give them, like, three years, see what happens, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done. I'm beyond that point with Angelos. I'm, I mean, I think Dan Snyder and Peter Angelos are really ana- analogous. Um, as I don't know, I just don't really care about the Orioles. Yeah, they're they're very similar. I I'm done with Peter Angelos. He's, I mean, part of it is because he's been around longer. Snyder bought the team, and I think ninety eight, ninety nine, Angelos bought the Orioles in ninety three. Um. But yeah, I'm I'm done with him. But yeah, I mean, I I'm I'm looking forward for football. Like football's the best. Yeah, I I I'm very excited just to get into the flow of things, even just playing fantasy football. Yeah. And I've said it on this podcast. I'm really excited for this Raven season. I think. Both roster-wise and schedule-wise, there are so many things in place for this year. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to talk about it again because, like, it ends up with an argument. I just feel like – I don't know. I just feel like there's certain things, the way the league is, that it's hard to repeat success like the Ravens had last year. But on paper, yeah, they probably did get even a little better. Right. I mean, that's what the Ravens is like – you can be a better team without achieving the same thing in the regular season. I know, and that's why we've talked about this before. Right, two Chiefs. Like, I, I mean, I think the best example of this is, like, the, maybe the most famous team in football history is the 1972 Dolphins, um, who went undefeated. But they also won the Super Bowl the next year, and any 
like one who's actually studied it, anyone on the team or anyone who played against them will all say they were better in 1973 than 72. They just went 12 and 2 instead of 14 and 0. And it's sort of like, I'm not saying the Ravens are that team, it's just sort of that idea. Yeah, I don't know. But, um, yeah. We'll see. Uh, do you see the video of Lamar playing pickup football? Yeah, it was kind of scary. Not just that, but he's kind of um, continuing on the stereotype. Yeah, like well, playing a fun game of pickup football and rushing, doing his thing. Yeah, well, I, I saw. Will, you see the Madden cover? Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Well, I saw last year. I mean, I remember last year the Chiefs. There was like a video of Patrick Mahomes sort of recklessly playing pickup basketball and the Chiefs had to sort of ask him to stop doing that. The Ravens might have to stop, ask Lamar to stop playing beach football. I'm pretty sure they already said that they're not going to ask him to stop. Oh. Well, I, I feel like I read that somewhere. But I don't – I obviously I'm not a doctor. But, I, like, at the same time, he's, what, 22? Like, let him live his life. Yeah. But – I don't – like, I didn't – I thought – like, I was thinking to myself, would this really be in the normal news cycle? in like a, in a normal June and like, yeah, maybe just because it's the former MVP and like one of the biggest names, but I, I, nobody would pay any attention to it any given year. Yeah. I, I think it would be just because at the end of the day, it's NFL. news story that involves Lamar and Mahomes at this point is news. Like, yeah, I, I, I try to not put Lamar and Mahomes together, but it's kind of impossible. Well, I, I don't put them together in terms of talent, but I put them together in terms of, popularity and sort of the future of the NFL because at the end of the day is it fair for me to say that I think Wilson's better I mean I disagree but like I don't think it's a ridiculous argument but I feel like it's would it be fair to say the consensus is that Wilson's better I don't don't know if it's a consensus I I, I don't know I would like maybe we'll do a poll on Instagram I I, my only thing is like it's kind of like how Mahomes I it's hard. It's just hard because Mahomes did it all with his arm, and so it was harder to say anything. Yeah. But the thing with Wilson is just I would go right now Mahomes, Wilson, Lamar. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, don't disagree with that that strongly. I'm biased, and I would take Lamar. But yeah, I mean, I, at the end of the I, day, I, I think the three of them are sort of their own tier as the best three. Yeah, I mean, some people would choose to put, you know, Breeze, but I don't know. I think I Breeze and Watson are their own tier. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if Watson's actually top five for me, but I would have to really. I would say he's. I will. I mean, you know, I love Watson. I know. But um, yeah. But I mean, obviously, like, I'll be the first one to say at this point, Mahomes is better than Lamar. But I think in terms of marketability, they're sort of on the same tier. Yeah, I mean, they were the last two covers of Madden. Right, and they're two young quarterbacks who really are both just exciting players to watch who are doing things we've never seen before. Yeah, it's cool. Um, and, like, Ravens and Chiefs have the most primetime games and get the highest ratings because those two guys. Like, the Ravens-Chiefs Monday night game is going to – the ratings for that, I'm excited to see what they are. Is it in Baltimore? Yeah. In theory? Yeah, if, you know. If Baltimore's open. Yeah. 
the other question is like there's going to be some stadiums that are going to be in like areas that are just fully open and then others in like Baltimore where probably yeah, NFL is going to have a uniform policy for fans I mean they had that with the draft where like the Saints by the time of the draft the country was on full lockdown but there was a point where Louisiana hadn't gotten into lockdown yet and the Saints like the Saints personnel was planning to rent out a location to meet by themselves and but, didn't Champagne get Corona? Well, it was it was after he had um, recovered because he got it really early on. But yeah. the, the NFL had said, like, for the purposes of fairness, every team had to have their personnel virtually interacting. So I think it would be a same sort of thing where, like, there would be a uniform fan policy. That the yeah. Maybe it'll be, like, one-third capacity kind of thing. Yeah. Um, my dad and I have actually been having some discussions about how teams could do it. What um, have you guys theorized? Well, so I think the best way to do it is, so when we were in Israel, the day before we, like the day we left, Israel put in social distancing measures, like that you were not allowed to come within a certain distance of someone. So when we ate lunch in the cafeteria that day, um, you we're only allowed to sit at certain seats that had a red tape on it and it was like socially distanced. So the way you would do that with football is you, especially like we were talking about in the context of the Ravens for whom almost every seat has a PSL owner. Like I don't know how a team like the Jaguars or the Bucks would necessarily do this, but um, for the team like the Ravens, this year, when you renew your PSL license, you have the rights to it in the future, but for this year only, it means that you get assigned one or two games at a random seat where the, basically they create a map out of the stadium so every fan can be socially distanced from where they're sitting. Um, and you just say to fans, you know, prioritize it by how long like, you could even allow fans to pick and prioritize it by how long they've had their season tickets for and just say, you know, you are a, we know, you know, normally you sit in section 402 um, and for, for future years you have that seat for every game, but for this year only, your PSL license means we're assigning you section 520 on week eight and section 318 on week 12 and you just divide it up that way among psl owners yeah i mean i i think certain stadiums will be better fitted for that than others and certain teams just in terms of like you know for example the ravens have um would probably sell out almost all their home games right and so now they have to really think about it but like the redskins already i would say an average redskins game would be 60 percent capacity like, they have a whole upper deck that just doesn't get used. Right. And, like, now's the time to kind of use it just because, like, if only a third of the fans could come. Like, and then there's certain stadiums. I'm trying to think, like, especially dome stadiums where it's a little bit less seating, I'd say are going to have a little well, bit more. Also, just because dome stadiums are indoors, you would have to probably have less people. Right. Yeah. And but, I mean, the thing is they're so big and they're such – like, I don't – like, the CDC would have to figure that because there's, like, yeah. the air it's, – it's weird. You might even do a thing where for retractable roof stadiums, you say regardless of weather, they have to be open. Yeah. And um, then you get the bad shadows for the Colts. Yeah. But, right, the thing I was talking about was sort of more in the context of a team like the Ravens who, 
not only do they sell out every game, but in a 70,000 seat stadium, it's probably like 65,000, 67,000 seats have PSL owners. So whereas I don't know the numbers for a team like the Buccaneers, but they were, well, the Buccaneers are not a good example because there'll be more interest in them this year. But for a team like the Falcons, who their stadium is maybe 60% full every game, and like even the Redskins, FedEx Field is usually empty, but their season ticket numbers are still good just because like people renew their season tickets and just sell them and don't go to games necessarily. But like the legacy of the 80s is sort of still there with season ticket owners. But for a team like the Falcons, who just like I assume their stadium is not full of season ticket owners, you would, it would be interesting how they would divide it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think this was fun. Yeah. Nice discussions going on today. You got yeah. anything else, Josh? I don't think so. All right, well, make sure you guys check out floaterpod.com and at the floaterpod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, yesterday, we did a, a live show, which will be every week, uh, Mondays at 5. The Zoom link will always be um, around whether it's on our socials personally or on the floater socials. So Mondays at five, look forward to that. Come join us, sit in, ask us some questions. Always a fun time. Other than that, um, it's my honor, pleasure, responsibility, and duty. Sorry, Josh, to remind you to stay home, stay safe, and stay loyal.